this is Cherie of A Repurposed Woman and the author of How to Take Back Your Crayons. And I just wanted to welcome you to another podcast. It was such a pleasure to come before you all in my last podcast and really just dig deep into the uh, creative measures that God takes in developing his children and developing who and what we are and becoming the narrator of our stories. But as we go forward in these next couple of weeks, I'm going to show you how easily it has been to allow there to be not only a different narrator of our stories, but also a different narrator. So one of the things that I had noticed when I was spending time with the Lord, just praying and really seeking him for the next steps for the, uh, the subject that we're on, the in the beginning, um, diving into your before and the beginning of your before so that when you take that shift to your after, uh, there's nothing there from before that's a residue that will carry itself over into your after with you. Because remind you, we're hitting the reset button. We're going back to the original blueprint and plans that God had for our lives in the beginning before the story changed, before someone came along and tried to rewrite our story. So one of the words that kept coming back to me was uh, dysfunctional, just dysfunctional. And I asked the question in my moment in your Monday, why is it that we're okay with being dysfunctional? Why do we allow it? Why do we accept it? Why don't we be the interruption of the dysfunction? And one of the things that stood out the most was that, is it that the reason why we do this or we allow it, is it because there's a fear? Is there a fear of the discovery? of the root of the dysfunction? Is there a pain that's associated with that discovery? Is it just something that we, for whatever reason, we're afraid and we just guard it. We assume that if I don't pay any attention to it, it'll work itself out, it'll go away. But what a dysfunction really is, is it's an impairment. It's something that's abnormal, that's being allowed to exist in your process and your systems. An example could be when my sister and I both noticing that we were having headaches off and on. But one of the things that stood out to me was the fact that even though we were having headaches because of our situation and our circumstances as being single parents, as being single moms, we knew that we couldn't have an off moment. So what did we do? We worked through and we moved through the impairment and the abnormality that was taking place in in our bodies. And that's not healthy in any way, shape, or form. We do this in relationships. When we are involved in a relationship where we know that there's something not quite right about the situation, not quite right about how you're being treated or how you're being spoken to, there's an impairment in the relationship. There's something that is wrong with its process, with its system. But we learn to work through it because once again, it sometimes hurts more to do the proper healing than it does to try to just guard the pain and keep moving through it. There is a level of dysfunction where some people operate on it on a regular basis. It becomes their norm. Uh, Dysfunctional drunk, but yet they're functional. Someone who prefers to uh, be high all the time, whether it's on drugs or, um, or on you know whatever it is that they would utilize, but yet they find that they function better when they're um, when they're when they're impaired, really. So here it is: we have these 
dysfunctional processes, these dysfunctional lifestyles, and they've now become the norm so that if there is no dysfunction, you are the odd man out. And as I was praying and and seeking the Lord to show me examples of, you know, this dysfunction and how it really just um, begins to have its way with people's lives, he took me back to the story of Joseph. Joseph is in the book of Genesis in the 37th chapter. And he showed me something so amazing about how Joseph, this poor kid, was born into dysfunction. And oftentimes, we are born into dysfunction. We're born into conflict. We're born into struggles that are not of our own doing. But yet we're shown that these ways of doing things and these ways of speaking these things that we speak and, and, and operate in the way we operate, they're normal because they became someone else's normal. And that just got passed on down. And as children, we're so trusting and relying upon our family and, and you know, the ways that we're being brought up and the ways that we're being taught that we may not always question what we see and what we hear and what's being done unless we see different, unless we recognize that I'm seeing different enough to believe that maybe that different is what's right and what we've got here is what's wrong. And that can cause you sometimes to be that, um, what I considered myself to be was the black sheep in my family. I didn't think the way my family did. I didn't want to do things the way I saw my family do. And I didn't want to speak the way I saw my family or heard my family speak. I didn't think that it was right to uh, talk to each other the way I would hear folks talk to each other. The condescending, the hurtful words, the meanness, just the spite. To me, I thought, this can't be right. And so because I didn't agree to the process and the system that was already in place, I was ostracized. I was made to feel as if I was wrong because my normal wasn't considered to be abnormal. So when we look at the story of Joseph, in his beginning, in his before, because Joseph, his story has a very impactful before and a very impactful after. When we look at Joseph's beginning, his story was actually being narrated by God. And the reason why I say that is because of the dreams, the magnificent prophetic dreams that God had given Joseph, which was showing him who he was meant to become. And it did involve the fact that he was going to one day rule over those who felt that he had no right to have any type of authority over them because he was born into conflict. He was born into rejection. The fear of being rejected, the manipulation, the control, and the favoritism, these are all roots to this dysfunctional family. Because you have a man who, he himself, born into conflict, and it seemed to follow him wherever he went. He gave birth to this child of his favorite wife, and then showed favor to this child over his other sons. He created an atmosphere amongst his family members that was not normal. It was dysfunctional, but yet they functioned through it anyway. So now here it is. You've got this child born into this family, but Joseph is thinking I'm living my best life right now because I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to worry about. My father loves me. Father loves me so much. He has created this beautiful multicolored coat for his son. 
And because because colors in the, the word of God, they have a um, ability of being prophetic. These colors that uh, Joseph's coat um, was made of was a resemblance or actually was a representation rather of God's glory over Joseph's life. So here it is. Joseph has this beautiful coat that his father has made for him that he hasn't done for anyone else. He's favored by his father. And of course, we all understand that the father being the head of the household, that that that, that chief authority to have his favor is to have everything. So he has nothing to be worried about, nothing to be concerned about. Life is good. But he also notices that there are things that his brothers do that are not right. And because he feels he has the audience with his father the way he does, that he has the freedom to say and to do whatever his heart so desires, he tells his father whenever he feels that his brothers are doing something that they should not do. There's already strife between them. There's already, as the Bible says, a hate that the brothers had for Joseph. But he's almost as if he's blind to it because he's on this track where it's like, my life is so good that I don't see anything else around me other than what's before me. So now here it is. Joseph will prove in his younger years to be an interruption in his family, whether he realizes it now or not. And it all begins with his decision to report to his fathers what his half-brothers were doing. Now, there is going to be a time where Joseph has a dream. And I believe that it starts off in the fifth verse of Genesis 37. He has a dream that he tells his brothers about and they hated him even the more for it. Because when he told them about the dream, they were he was letting them know, God is speaking this to me. And I really believe that this is something huge. This is something big. This is something wonderful. The brothers already hating him, hated him even more because the dream was obviously showing them this guy is going to have authority over us. There is no way that this could possibly happen. But this never swayed Joseph. He had another dream. This time he tells his father about it. And in the 10th verse, he tells his father about the dream and is even scolded by his father. Now, mind you, this is this, is this man's favorite son. But this favorite son was showing him that there's going to be a time where this dysfunction that we are all functioning in, we're operating in, is going to come to an end because I will be in leadership. I will be in authority. I will rule. And it never really caused Joseph to disrespect his father or desire to disrespect his brothers. It was something that was precious to him. And it was something that he was very, very uh, conscientious of and, and, and held on to. Rightfully so. Even though, of course, it made his brothers all the more jealous over him. So here it is. He's told everybody about his dreams. Not everyone has received his dreams as well, but it doesn't deter him. So here it is. Jacob becomes a bit resistant to one of Joseph's dreams, Um, but he's mindful of that dream. It gets to the point where later on in the chapter, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flock at Shechem. Uh, They had been gone for quite some time. So Jacob said to Joseph, Hey, your brothers are out pastoring, and um, they've got the sheep with them at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. Joseph is willing to, he's willing to go. He's so willing to go, he says, hey, I'm ready, I'll go. 
And as he goes down looking for his brothers, he comes into the valley of Hebron and he uh, encounters a man who um, noticed him kind of wandering around the countryside. And the man says, what are you looking for? What are you searching for? Joseph said, I'm looking for my brothers. I know that they're supposed to be in one place and they're not. And the man said, you know what? Yes, I do know that there are a group of men that are, are, are shepherding sheep. Um, and I heard them say, let us go down to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan, and that's where he found them. Man, that is where Joseph's story changes. Here is where God stops being the narrator of Joseph's story. And we'll find that his brothers take on his story. His brothers are about to try to rewrite his history. Well, not his history. I'm so sorry. They're about to rewrite his destiny. They're trying to rewrite his story. So he encounters his brothers. And they've got it out for him. Because let's be honest. I'm truly believing they were supposed to be in one place because it's where Joseph was originally sent by Jacob, which was to Shechem, but there's someplace else. So here it is. You all feel it's okay to just wander where you're going to wander. Father has no idea where you're at, but because there's so much dysfunction going on in the family, it's okay. They don't, they don't take it into account that we must go where we said, you know, to our father, we would be or where our father thinks we're going to be. But this is a complete and total setup for this, 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 this part of the story. So they encounter Joseph and they see him coming and they think, oh man, you got to be kidding me. And as they're watching him approach, those jokers are literally plotting on how they can kill their brother. And they say, here comes the dreamer. Here comes that dreamer. I cannot begin to tell you how many times I felt as if I was the um, outside person looking in when it came to my family. Because even though I didn't know the Lord then, there were things that I was able to do, hear, and see that I must have spoken on so much to the point where it just got to the point where I was told to just be quiet. Don't say anything. I don't want to hear that. Why are you talking so much? Now, he gets to his brothers, and they decide, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our dad that a wild animal had eaten him up, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. They didn't want Joseph's story to overturn theirs. They didn't want Joseph to interrupt the dysfunction by becoming the authority over who they believed and thought they were to be. Now, it's interesting, when you look at the name Dothan, it means to decree or a well, which is a place you draw from. So what I found very interesting about the story was that when they saw him coming, they decreed, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. Let's devise a plan that ends his story. They were trying to speak a new narrative over Joseph's story. So instead of killing him, they simply dropped him into a dry well. A well is a place where you're supposed to draw water from. A well is where you draw your, your substance. Your, you need water to live. You need water to survive. But this well was dry. This well was a reflection of the dysfunctional family that Joseph was born into. 
There was nothing to be drawn out of this cistern. There was nothing to be drawn out of this well. Out here in the wilderness, they just tossed him in there. And then on top of that, Reuben, one of his brothers, was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to their father. So here it is when Joseph shows up, he's wearing his beautiful robe. They grab him, they throw him into the cistern, into the well, which is empty because, of course, there's no water in it. Then they sit down to break bread. Can you imagine eating and listening to this poor kid in this hole, screaming, crying, yelling, and even begging for his life? You've already decided that you're going to take his coat and strip him of it. Can you imagine that? a reflection of the glory of God over his life and they stripped him of it thinking that as they were stripping him from the coat they were stripping him of the of the favor that he had with their father they were stripping him of his ability to dream and to speak about his dreams especially if his dreams meant that he would no longer um, be the flow of dysfunction in the family with the rest of them but he was going to be the interruption of that dysfunction listen there are going to be people that you're going to encounter in your life where you are going to be sent by God to be the interruption of their foolishness, the interruption to their dysfunction, and they're not going to like it. They're not going to like it because it has become what is abnormal and what is an impairment has become the norm for them. And there are going to be people who are going to recognize that the anointing on your life, it is going to repel them and do not chase them. Do not chase them. Do not chase them. I cannot say that enough. Do not chase them. These individuals thought, these brothers, these band of brothers thought that by stripping Joseph of his coat, it was going to be a, a, a way of showing their father evidence that we don't have him. He's gone. He's dead. And in a sense, it's almost as if the enemy was standing there saying, yes, take that coat. Because when you take that coat, you're going to strip him of the glory of God that's over his life. No, not so. Not so at all. So at some point in time, the brothers later on in, um, in the, I'm sorry, the brothers later on in the chapter recognize that from a distance, there is a caravan of camels that's coming towards them. They recognize that it's a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of um, products right into Egypt. So one of the brothers, Judah, says to the rest of them, hey, think about it. What are we really going to gain from killing him? What are we really going to gain from that? Instead of hurting him, let's just sell him. We'll sell him to one of those Ishmaelites. We'll do just that. We'll get something out of our trouble of having to deal with this brother of ours. So listen, before I go further, let me just ask you this. Because they're about to draw him out of the well in order to sell him to the Ishmaelites. They're not even realizing what they're doing, the significance of what they're doing, is they're drawing out of the well someone who has already been established by God to be their future, to be a part of their destiny, the authority over their lives, but not so in a sense where it was meant to harm them or meant to uh, make them feel less than but it's going to be, in a sense, uh, uh, the favor of God over their lives. 
And sometimes we just can't see that. We can't see the promise. We can't see the hope. We can't see the destiny that God has established for us that's better than anything that we can think of because we can't see through the dysfunction. We can't see through the the ways of doing things that are so abnormal, so wrong. We can't seem to see through that because our eyes have become blinded to it and our hearts have become hardened by it. And what we think is okay, we're going to continue to do it even though it is so dysfunctional. So one of the things that I notice about this, this exchange that takes place is the fact that it's Ishmaelites. Now the Ishmaelites were a descendant of Ishmael. And we all know the story between Abraham and Hagar. Uh, Hagar was the handmaid of Sarah, who actually was from Egypt. So here is a situation where these brothers decide they're not going to kill Joseph. They're just going to sell him into slavery. They're going to get something for it. So they draw him out of the well only to put him into the hands of the very people that represent things that we do where we try to produce something on our own without God's hand on it, where it's uh, a group of people who represent a, a lack of obedience and a lack of trust. And we also see that this is a group of people that represent what God was not going to use Ishmael to do concerning the promise that he had gave Abraham about his descendants. And it's interesting how what was meant to silence both the vision and the voice of Joseph was not going to completely be fruitful in his life. So the Ishmaelites, they go ahead and they accept Joseph for 20 shekels of silver. The boys return home and they let their father know that, hey, something has happened. Joseph is, is missing. And of course, Jacob is in ruins. He's wrecked. You know, they they had killed a goat and they had shed the blood onto the coat to allow Jacob to to believe that something had happened to Joseph, that he was gone. And in the process of doing this, in the time frame that they're doing this, Joseph is actually on his way to, um, he's on his way to Egypt, being sold into slavery. And the traders are going to sell Joseph to Potiphar, who was actually an officer of the Pharaoh at the time, who was the king of Egypt. And that's where I'm going to stop Joseph's story for this week. Listen, one of the beautiful things that we have to remember is that in Romans 8 and 28, where it says, God causes all things to work for our good. There is some good that comes out of breaking that cycle of dysfunction and the fight that you get when you try to do so. There were times where I believed that my mother had put me in a well of her own, of her own, you know, her own doing, her own creation. The relationship that we had between each other was one that was just, it was dysfunctional. It wasn't how a mother and a daughter's relationships are supposed to exist. And I know this now because I have daughters of my own. I have a son of my own. And I also learned through watching others interact with each other, other mothers and their daughters interacting with each other in a way that um, reflected that there was no dysfunction, but that there was love, 
that there was grace, there was forgiveness, that there was understanding, that there was wisdom. But above all, there was no hurt. There was no brokenness. And so there were often times where I would feel as if one would feel if you knew you had the glory of God over your life, where you felt like life was good, life is great. And there would be something that, I don't know, I thought I would just breathe wrong. And my mother would strip me of my coat. She would strip me of that feeling of, of assuredness that all is well. And it would be through her words or through her actions. And every time she would strip me by calling me a name, strip me by striking me, strip me by ignoring me, strip me by rejecting me. And each time I felt that stripping away, I went into another well and into another well and into another well. And when the time would come, she would draw me out of the well. And I would think that everything was well, everything is okay. Or maybe I could do this better this time. Or maybe I shouldn't do this next time. Or maybe I shouldn't say this next time. But there was so much dysfunction that was what my mother was birthed into that it became her norm. It became a cycle that was repeated um, by her that had been done by her mother and her parenting. And let me tell you, I don't say all this to put my family on any kind of blast. Anyone that knows me will tell you that. But I say it to say that I have skin in the game, that I can relate to the story of Joseph, that I can relate to the story of any woman that can come to me and say, you know, um, I had a mother that broke me instead of nurtured me. I had a mother that stripped me and dropped me in wells instead of drawing me out and allowing me to dream my dreams and um, speak the story that I believed my life is supposed to is supposed to tell because ultimately where my story ends is not just a blessing for me but it was going to be a blessing for my entire family much as we're going to see the way Joseph's story ends so listen ladies don't forget if you've got any questions or comments feel free to shoot me an email to a woman at gmail.com you can find me on instagram at a woman you can find me on facebook at a woman and i have a podcast set up to be um, accessed through my website at a woman.com so i look forward to catching up with you next week as we dive back into the story of Joseph and go a little bit further into his before and start to move towards his after. So I look forward to seeing you then, or actually I look forward to talking to you then. So take care. God bless you big. Love you much.